Morning. You know you've had a good baptism when you have to take off your jacket when it's all said and done. (laughs) Hopefully I won't be in a t-shirt by the time we're finished. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 to 21. Ephesians 3. So if you think of the book book of Ephesians, we're halfway. So the the book of Ephesians, it's it's so systematic. The, The first half is literally what is true. It's all the gospel that that we've been talking about. Everything that God has done for us. It's not a lot of calling you to action. And then then you hear he he finishes, like we talked about last week, with this incredible prayer that you may know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, the breadth and the height and the depth and the length of it, the dimensions of it. And then he says that you may be filled with the fullness of God himself. And then he closes with this doxology, or this praise, which was to be sung. It was, okay, the first half of the, the epistle, the, the love letter is finished. Now, let's stop and let's sing this praise for everything that Paul has told us that God has done for us. And then the second half, which is where we're going now, or where we'll be going for the next months, is now what to do. What, because of the gospel and because of the grace and everything that he's done for us, now how's he calling us to live? And so we'll pick up with that soon. So if you would, uh, chapter 3, and I am actually going to start around verse 16, but we're just going to focus on verse 20 and 21. So this is the prayer, right? Verse 16, or 15. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory... He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If you would pray with me. Father, we confess that um, you can do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or comprehend or even think, Lord, in the church and in your people. And to you be the glory. And we we pray that, Father, those those two things. One, that you would do far more in our lives, in our children's lives, in our families' lives, in our church, far more than we could imagine to transform us, that we might be filled with the fullness of God like he just said that we might be able to truly comprehend and know the love of Christ which surpasses knowing, you say. Oh, Lord, and and as you do that work, as the Holy Spirit does that work in the inner being of each man and each woman here, God, you receive glory. Let, Let the praise and the exaltation be given to you, the source. Father, open your word up. Feed your sheep now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
was a, a joke in the, the banking world that a loan officer retired and he bought a gas station, but it quickly failed miserably that whenever a customer came in and, and asked for 10 gallons of gas, he would say, well, can you just get by with five? That's a joke. And now you see why it failed miserably. <laughs> well, in, in Ephesians 3, this concluding doxology, this concluding song, and, and Paul is saying, God, God is not like a loan officer. In our prayers and in our needs, he is not trying to negotiate you down, but if anything, it's just the opposite. He, he's always saying to us, yes, not yes, but what can you live with? Or yes, maybe, but maybe you don't have enough credit. In here, he closes this first half of the love letter of the gospel to us by saying these tremendous words, may you be filled with all the fullness of God. Then God can do abundantly above, far, far above all that we ask or all that we think to God be the glory in the church forever. Notice, notice what he's done. He prayed something that, that we can barely comprehend, right? M much less think is possible for, for the Christian to be filled with the fullness of God. Understand what he's saying there. He is praying for us to be filled with the fullness of God. And when you read that, you think, maybe Paul's gone too far here. He's, he, maybe I can't comprehend some of the love of Christ I can ask for that, but what he is asking here seems only possible maybe for some of the super saints or maybe a select few, or, but it's certainly beyond the reach of just ordinary Christian like me. And that is his very point. The Gentiles would naturally feel that they're, they're the halfway accepted, that they're second-class citizens, they're, they're barely saved. They're certainly not... Christians like these Jewish Christians have been waiting for thousands of years for the Messiah who knew the Old Testament promises back and forth. And Paul is saying to them and to us, no matter your background, no matter your history, God is able to do far and away more in you than you could ever imagine or think. And I want to ask you, are, are you doubtful of that? Are you doubtful of what Paul says God is able to do in your life? To really know or experience the love of Christ that surpasses knowing, surpasses knowledge? Or to be filled with the fullness, with the life of God himself? Do you believe that you can have an experiential knowledge of these things? More than just what you read on the pages of the scripture. Think about this. Is what Paul prays, is it extraordinary or is it ordinary? Is he praying for extraordinary Christianity, mountaintop experiences for you? Or is he praying for your everyday life to be like this? I would say... He's praying for the everyday life of the believer. 
that Christianity is the real participation of the divine nature. Everything the Old Testament was pointing towards. The fullness of the image of God placed upon your inner being. It is Christ, God Himself, formed in us. One Puritan said, Christianity is the divine life because God now dwells in you. So here's the main idea today, that God is able to do far and away more in you than you could ever ask or imagine. Two ways Paul explains this we're going to look at. First is this, point one. Far, far, far more. I know that's not a very grammatically nice sentence, but far, far, far more. Verse 20, look in your Bibles with me. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Stop there. Notice those words. Able to do far more abundantly. Okay, that's, in the original language, that's a double superlative is what that is. And and you say, okay, Rusty, help me. What's a superlative? It's words that show the highest degree, right? So good, better, best. And maybe in Alabama, bestest is the superlative. That's just a joke. Don't take that personal. And Paul uses double superlatives here. Like he's saying the bestest best, the greatest great. And this is how he describes the power of God. Now we, we understand that. America is a superlative nation. I can remember living overseas and you'd ask people, well, how's it going? And they'd say, oh, it's going okay. And you say, okay, great. In America, you say, how's it going if someone doesn't say anything but it's going awesome? Then you say, what's wrong? If someone says, oh, it's going okay, you say, well, what's wrong? Because we're so used to, well, how's your day going? Oh, it's going great. It's going best. It's the best day ever. In fact, that was kind of a running joke in our previous church was, how's your day? And being an American, they would look at me and say, it's awesome. I'd say, great. Thank you for speaking my language. But we understand superlatives, right? Our McDonald's Cokes are the biggest. Our trucks are the largest. Our food is the greasiest. And he now has turned from the love of God, which is beyond knowing, now to the power of God, which is beyond imagining. It's the superlative. It's power upon power. So we go from limitless love of God to the limitless power of God is how he finishes this thought. But look there with me. Look how he says this in his Bibles. You're able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think. In other words, whatever we ask of God or think God is able to do in our lives, in the lives of other believers, He is able to do exceedingly abundantly more. And so this is what He is saying. God is able to do what we ask. Yes. God is able to do more than we ask of Him. Yes. God is able to do super, infinitely, eternally more than we could ever conceive or think. And Paul says, yes. And you say, great, okay. Uh, Why didn't he give me the new superlative, biggest, grandest house that I asked for and big truck that I wanted? 
if he's able to do the greatest. And look what he says there. According to the power at work within us. You see that? What does that mean? Well, this is the second time that Paul has prayed this. He prayed it back, if you remember, in chapter 1, verse 19. He says this, that you may know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. And then he tells us about that power. This power raised Christ from the dead, he says in chapter 1. It it put all things under his authority for us. This power raised us from the dead and gave us new life. This power seated us in Christ at the right hand of the Father. And Paul's point is, the power that he is promising, the superlative power that is beyond what we could ever ask or imagine, is the power that's working in you. Where the Spirit dwells in the inner person. So the gospel is not a promise to make your wildest dreams come true. Right? It's not Napoleon Dynamite, vote for Pedro and all your wildest dreams will come true. It's not choose Jesus and he's going to make your wildest dreams come true. Or the, the power to have the perfect and easy life if you just believe. The gospel is not a promise of the superlative life. But every believer has the power of the Spirit, the superlative power of the Spirit in them. Always working. That's the promise. Doing far and away more than we can imagine in our lives. Our hearts, our churches, our marriages, in our children. So the gospel is a promise of God's power to the believer to work in the greatest ways in you. Several years ago, um, I took a group to an inner city ministry in Huntsville, one of the, the most difficult neighborhoods in the state. And the leader of this ministry, his name was Mark, and it was, an, it was just unbelievable how God was using him to transform one of the worst neighborhoods in our state. And one night, I asked Mark, I said, tell me your story. And he said, well, he said, I came from a real rough background here in Huntsville, and I did a lot of LSD. And one day, I did a bunch of LSD, except it was laced with something very nasty. And he said, I realized it because I wasn't coming down. Day after day after day, it was getting worse. And so I decided that I was going to commit suicide. And I was sitting in the woods, I can't remember where he said he was, and I was contemplating how I was going to kill myself. And then I remembered my friend who used to do a lot of drugs with me how he'd become a Christian and his life had radically changed. And so I said, okay, well, I'll try that. And so I cried out in this LSD hallucinogenic state where I'd given up hope for life. I was hoping for death at that point. And I cried out, Jesus, if you're real, save me, change me, deliver me. And he said like that, it was gone. He said, it was gone. My mind was completely restored. And as I was in God's word after that, day by day by day, my mind was restored in remarkable ways. All the effects of the drugs over the years, the hard lifestyle, it was gone. And God used this man in tremendous ways. God can do abundantly beyond what we can imagine. Now often our prayers are based only on what we think is possible or what we think is reasonable. 
And we might not ask for God to do much in our lives or our families or our children or our church because we're not really sure that he can. In prayer, your greatest challenge is not to treat God like he is a man, which is what we tend to do with limited power and limited capabilities. We need to ask God to do things which do not feel safe, are not comfortable for you. Things He promises to do in His words. Things that reveal His greatness. Things that make us more like Him. If He can do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, ask Him to free you from your computer addictions that have been going on for years. From your nightly desire to drink too much. From your habit of not telling the truth from always dreaming of the superlative life that you want and never being satisfied with all the goodness that God has actually given you. To free you from your fear, from your worry and your anxiety, which have become your constant companion in life. Remember, God usually doesn't just work in a vacuum. He's not a genie that answers when you rub his belly. He is a God of process that principally works through His Word and His Spirit. We become then like what we worship. And as we worship Him through Word and through Spirit, that's where we see Him do more than we could ever conceive or think where in our own lives. So I want to ask you, has this power worked in you? Has it created new desires to love and obey God in your life? Have you seen that transformation? Is there a new life in you? Have you gone from dead to alive to knowing Him? A new revelation of your sin that you never saw before? A new knowing of the love of God which you've never experienced before? And Paul says, if you know this power, then don't be amazed that in Christ you can be filled with the fullness of God. That's his prayer for the believer. Let's go to the second thing. Paul then points to the purpose of God's power working in the believer. Point two, he works all things for his glory. If you'll look in your Bibles with me at verse 21. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I want to read you an Old Testament prophecy. Hundreds of years before Jesus. Zechariah 2.11. Listen to this. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and they shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. That's Zechariah. And what Paul is saying is now those nations have come. Those Gentiles and Jews are the living church of God. And just like he said, his presence now not just dwells in a building, but dwells in you. God has done abundantly more than we ask or thought to him be the glory. It means look at the transformation God has done in your life, in the life of others, and attribute it to his power. The power comes from Him and then the glory goes to Him. Now, 
notice then, okay, Rusty, I understand what you're saying. But where then is the glory seen? Look in your Bibles. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Think about this. For the Jew, often they had to travel a long way to go and to worship the Lord in the temple, to experience the glory of God, where His presence dwelt with His people. And now, all believers are His living temple, chapter 3. His presence now dwells wherever His people are because His presence dwells in you. His power then is seen in you. And the church then is that sacred community of believers in the world set apart, that corner of the world set apart to reveal and give glory to God and light to mankind. Let me say it like this. Nothing reveals the glory of God like the church. That's how it's supposed to work. Nothing displays the wisdom, the power, the grace, and the love of God like the church. This is the chief job of the church in the world. And the way that works is one person at a time. One person at a time going from dead to alive in Christ. Going from having no hope to having all the promises of Abraham. Having the Holy Spirit living in their inner being. Having a new desire to love and to worship and to know God. Now notice... Lastly, this glory won't end. It'll continue forever. Look at your scriptures. Throughout all generations, forever and ever. In other words, this work of power to change people, for the fullness of God to actually come, is not just something we read about in the book of Acts. It's not just something we read about in the Great Awakening or the Second Great Awakening. It's something that he says he continues to do. It is ordinary Christianity to be lived out in our lives. God's fullness dwelling in his people in church, it will endure for all generations, for all eternity. The church will reveal the greatness of God in this life and in the one to come. 1 John 3.2 Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. When Christ does come again, we shall see Him and be transformed by His very glory to be like Him. In other words, we will go from having the fullness of God and the Spirit dwelling with us to the fullness of God dwelling there in front of us. And as we come to know His grace, His love, and His power, that will take eternity because it's never ending. And God's people will forever give God glory, respond to Him in glory for who He is. And then the result in your life, glory always has an effect. In this church, as our lives, as our church gives glory, reveals the greatness of who God is because of what He's doing, the effect of that glory on you is joy. It always is. And so it is in eternity. As you know Him more, His power, His glory, His grace, His love, which unfolds in front of you for all eternity, and you praise and you worship and you're caught up in it, the experience will be joy to you and praise to Him.
Father, I thank you for the church, which is a picture of eternity, what we're going to do in New Jerusalem when Christ dwells physically with your people. Thank you now. Thank you now for your work. And Lord, I, I, I pray that every believer here would be filled with the fullness of God. And I don't fully understand what that means. Your spirit, your infinite, your eternal, your unchangeable in the being, and we can't be those things. Yet your love and your joy and your peace and you're full of patience, and you're full of kindness, those things do transfer to us. And so I pray, Lord, all those things that come to us because the Spirit is in us, because Christ is in us, may we be filled with them. Lord, and may we hate those things which quench them. Lord, do far more abundantly than we could ever ask and think in our lives, in our church, in our community, in the lives of our children. And all of this, Lord, we want to see in the church for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.